I just want to affirm everything Mark said about the benefit of men fellowshipping together and the heart with which he said it and prayed. Thank you, Mark. And we're going to be this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, Ten years ago or so, I walked through the streets of Geneva, Switzerland, guided on a tour by John Glass to see some of the sites where God powerfully blessed and transformed his church during the 16th century. That was the city where John Calvin ministered and preached the word of God. And I remember as we walked through that city, there was one place in particular that that really captured me. It was a giant stone wall. Etched into that wall were the statues of some of the great heroes of the Reformation period of church history. And engraved in the wall were these words in Latin, post tenebras, lux, after darkness, light. That's what God did, and that's what God has done over and over again in his church through the many centuries and generations He's caused light to shine into the darkness of our world. And what was it in Geneva that brought that light into the darkness of post-medieval Europe? Well, it was the word of God. During Calvin's time, the church in Geneva determined that in every church, sermons were to be preached on Sundays at the break of day, And again, at 9 o'clock in the morning, that was their late service. (laughs) At midday, there was to be a catechism for all the little children. Then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, another sermon. Plus, on working days, there would be sermons three times a week, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Six times a week, the word of God was being preached and heard. And that's why after darkness, there was light in Geneva and from Geneva to the nations of Europe. And the light of Christ continues to shine from that great period of church history to today. Well, we're going to see something like this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It was a dark time in Israel's history. It was the time of the judges when there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It was so dark, we saw last week that the sons of the priest, Eli, were blaspheming the Lord. They were stealing the sacrifices of the people as they came to the temple and offered them in worship. And they were even sleeping with women right there in the temple. But today we're going to see that God is still present among his people and he's not going to stay silent. The light of God's word is going to penetrate the darkness of Israel. So let's worship God as he speaks to us from his holy word. And what I want to do is read the head and the tail of this text, the beginning and the end, starting at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no Frequent vision. Now skip down to verse 19 and notice the contrast. And Samuel grew 
And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray as we approach it with joyful trembling. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us into the likeness of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, you can see the transformation in this narrative from beginning to end. I love how Dale Ralph Davis describes it in his commentary. He says this, Yahweh's people find no prophet without a prophet. And Yahweh is about to profitably profit them. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. At the beginning of the story, God's word is like a dimly flickering light in Israel. But at the end of the story, God, God has raised up Samuel as his prophet. And through Samuel, the word of the Lord is coming to all of Israel. Isn't that what we long to see happen in our world today? We long to see the word of God flowing powerfully through our church into the Fox Valley and then to our nation and from us to all the nations of the world. That's what we long to see. So what can we learn from this story about the God who speaks and causes his light to shine into the darkness? We learn this. When God wants to change a culture, He does it by raising up people and churches who hear the word of God and faithfully proclaim it to others. When God wants to change a culture, he does it by raising up people and churches who hear the word of God and faithfully proclaim it to others. Let's trace the movement of God's word as it unfolds in this story. First, we see in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Maybe you've heard this proverb. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version of Proverbs 29, 18, and it's been taken out of context in many different ways. But there's wisdom in that proverb that we desperately need to heed. Listen to what it says in the, the CSB. It says, without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. And this was the problem with Israel in the days of Samuel's childhood. People were very rarely hearing God's word. There was little revelation from God. 
Men of God were rarely receiving visions from God to speak to the people of God. Only very occasionally did it happen, like what we read last week from chapter 2, verses 27 through 36, when a man of God came to Eli and pronounced God's judgment on him and on his household. But that didn't happen very frequently. Prophetic visions were not widespread. There was no revealed word from the Lord. And the people were running wild. They were casting off restraint. They were doing whatever seemed fit to them. Listen, when people prefer darkness rather than light, sometimes God withdraws his word. And he lets people wander in the darkness that they desire. But it's an awful judgment from God when he does that. The prophet Amos speaks of a time in Israel's future when God would bring a famine. Not a famine of bread or of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And and he speaks of how people will wander all over the place seeking to just hear a word from the Lord, but they won't find one. A famine of hearing the word of God. What a dreadful place for a nation or a people to find themselves in. You might think it's impossible for the word of the Lord to be rare in our day. After all, we have the complete Bible. So we don't need to worry about this, right? Wrong. The word of the Lord can become rare, not just because the Lord isn't giving it. The word of the Lord can become rare because we aren't receiving it. Because our ears are dull. Because our appetite has been diminished and we are stuffed full of so many other things that we don't have any desire or appreciation for the preciousness of God's words. That's why Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Because to the one who has much more will be given, but to the one who does not have even it will be taken away from him. Treasure the word of God. Church, how long could you go without hearing God's word in your life before you'd really miss it? If your Bible was taken away from you for a week, would you notice the difference? If you couldn't hear the word of God preached for a month, what, what effect would that have on your daily life? Do you recognize what a gift it is to hear God speaking to you through his word? What a treasure that is. Could it be that you're experiencing a famine in your life and you don't even realize it Because your soul has become so parched, so barren. If it wouldn't make a difference for you to go without the word of God for a week or a month, today hear this 
revelation from God as a call, a gracious call to repentance. To repentance over your neglect of the Bible. And hear God calling you to take this precious gift of his that he gives us in his word and to treasure it and to thank him for it. When we read a verse like 1 Samuel 3.1, we should pray with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 43. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I've put my hope in your laws. Could we just say that out loud together as a prayer to the Lord? Let's say those words. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I've put my hope in your laws. The good news is that God is eager for people to hear his voice. Being in a covenant relationship with God is not like being stranded in a broken marriage where a husband and wife are no longer on speaking terms with one another. No, God is so gracious. He, he always takes the initiative. He keeps pursuing us. He comes to us again and again, knocking at the door of our hearts and say, if anyone hears my voice, I'll come in and I'm gonna eat with him and him with me and we're gonna have sweet fellowship together. He did this in Samuel's time and he's doing it with so much more clarity and fullness today. Let's see how God breaks the silence, beginning in verse two. The Lord breaks the silence. Praise him for that. Eli's physical condition is a reflection of his and Israel's spiritual condition. Uh, Look at what it says in verse two. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, or the NIV says his eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was lying down in his own place. It's nighttime. He can't see very well. That's his physical condition, but it's a metaphor of his spiritual condition. He's not seeing because he's not hearing God's word. He's lying down in his own place. He's old and tired and in his bed. The man Israel is counting on to represent them before God is so feeble and frail and ineffectual. And who's next in the line of succession? Hophni and Phinehas. This is looking like a bleak time for Israel. But in verse 3, we see there's a boy who's lying down in a different place. It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. That's a strange place to be sleeping. But these were strange times in Shiloh. And there's a young boy, the Jewish tradition says that he's about 12 years old at this time. He's sleeping right there in the temple, right by the ark of the Lord, where God's covenant with his people was kept in safekeeping. We're told the lamp of God had not yet gone out, which is both a sign of the time of night that it was, but also spiritually a metaphor 
of the hope that remains for the people of God. The lamp is flickering, but it's still shining. Praise God. There's hope for God's people. And we come to verses 4 through 10, and the key word in these verses is the word call, the verb call. It's the main action verb in this section. It appears 11 times in the Hebrew text. Verse 4, the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. It's pretty nice to call him my son the second time he's been woken up in the middle of the night. Lie down again. Samuel isn't quite getting it. He's not recognizing who's calling him. And Eli doesn't seem to mind being woken up in the middle of the night. And verse verse 7 says, explains why Samuel isn't getting the message right away. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This is a jarring statement. If you remember what it said in chapter 2, verse 12 about Eli's sons, they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. But the connotation here is very different. The word that makes the difference in verse 7 is the word yet. Eli's sons were worthless because they had the law of God and they despised it. They rejected the knowledge of God. But Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the experience of having the Lord come and speak to him was entirely new to him. He's been dedicated to the Lord from his birth. He's been growing with the Lord. He's been enjoying the favor of the Lord. We were even told in verse 1 that he was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. But up until this point in his life, the Lord had not yet revealed his word to Samuel. And this is going to be the day that sets his life on a whole new trajectory, and it's going to transform the, the nation. This is how... We get to know the word of the Lord. It's, it, it, this is how we get to know the Lord. It's when the word of the Lord is revealed to us. When God opens up his word to us, that's how we get to know him. In verses 8 and 9, the Lord calls Samuel the third time. And you know what it's been like. If you've already been woken up twice and you're over 50, it's hopeless. You're done. You're done for the night. Might as well make your toast and oatmeal or whatever. And you're, you're just, you're awake now. And Eli said some time to muse and ponder, what's going on here? He finally realizes, he perceives that the Lord is at work. And he tells Samuel what to do in verse 9. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Isn't that a great posture to be in? Lying down in submission, ready to hear, ready to respond to the call of the Lord. It's one of my favorite short prayers in the Bible. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
I'd encourage you to take that one with you this week when you open your Bible to hear from God. In verse 10, the Lord comes to Samuel. And there's an interesting detail here. It says the Lord came and stood. One commentator points out this is the only place in Scripture where stood has God as its subject. God stands in Samuel's presence. The covenant God who reveals himself personally to his people is now calling Samuel for the fourth time, this time repeating his name twice. Samuel! Samuel! And Samuel responds, Speak, for your servant hears. Was he trembling in awe? Too afraid to mention the divine name Yahweh? Speak, for your servant is listening. For the first time, the word of the Lord is going to be revealed to this 12-year-old boy. And from him, the word of the Lord is going to flow to all the people of Israel. After the darkness of the time of Judges, the lamp of God's word is going to shine brighter and brighter until all the people are aware that they have a God who is active in their midst, a God who reveals himself, a God who speaks. Praise him for that. As God breaks the silence in Samuel's life and times, we might be wondering what are we to take away from Samuel's experience? How is this instructive for us? Well, we shouldn't be expecting Samuel's experience to become the norm in our lives. God is setting apart a prophet for his people Israel, and that's not what he is doing in our lives in the same way today. We live in a time of revelation from God that is so much fuller, so much clearer, so much richer than Samuel had. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament opens with these powerful words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. <laughs> the fullest and best revelation God could give us of himself is Jesus, his son. Jesus is God's full and final prophet. He's not only a man like Samuel to whom God revealed his word. Jesus is himself the eternal word of God. One with God the Father, sent from God the Father in the fullness of God the Spirit to reveal God in all his fullness to us. I love how John put it. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. So we are living in a time of much fuller revelation than Samuel had. But you might be thinking, this was true in the first century when Jesus walked on earth, but how is God revealing himself to us today in the 21st century? And the answer is, Jesus is on earth today through his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is actively revealing Jesus to all people of the world today when they read the Word of God in the Bible. 
and hear Christ proclaimed in all the scriptures. Jesus even said to his disciples it would be better for them when he went away to the Father because then the Spirit would come and teach them all things concerning himself. And the Spirit is doing that today as the word of God flows powerfully through the church to all the nations. That's why the apostle Peter urged Christians in the first century to pay close attention to the scriptures. Look at what he said. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have now in this book. We have the prophetic message more fully confirmed than Samuel ever had it. So we shouldn't expect God to wake us up in the middle of the night with an audible voice. But we can't expect the same God who revealed himself to Samuel to reveal himself to us in his word. And we can expect him to be as patient and kind with us as he was with Samuel. Even though it took him a while to understand that the Lord was speaking to him. The Lord did not rebuke Samuel for being slow to catch on. He was patient. He was persistent. He was clear in how he spoke to his young child. And Jesus will do the same with you and me. He is meek and he is humble of heart. And he invites us to come to him and to learn from him. And I hope you don't ever feel embarrassed if you feel like it's taking you a while to catch on. I hope when you come to Bible study here, you're not feeling like, oh man, if I didn't get all my homework done, I better not show up. And if I had a wrong answer, oh, what's wrong with me? No. We want this to be a safe environment of learners. We're all learning Christ together. Remember those four Ps? What, a couple of them are patient, prayerful, proclaiming. That's what we're all about. We're, we're about patiently, prayerfully taking the next step toward Christ. So whether you're stumbling or faltering or barely crawling along the way and you feel like you're learning so slow, all we want to do is help each other take the next step here. We can be patient in this process of learning Christ together because the Holy Spirit is very tender, very patient, very kind in how he teaches us. And he still has many things he wants us to know. And he'll reveal them to us through his word when we're ready to learn them. He knows how to modify his instruction to fit our condition. So don't think of God as a gruff, impatient drill sergeant. Why haven't you gotten it yet? No. Think of him as a kind, patient teacher. I remember when I was in junior high, I had a piano teacher. I was about to quit. Every time I went into a room, my hands would start shaking. I couldn't play things because she seemed so stern, so severe. And then my mom and dad took me to Mr. Stewart. He was kind. He was patient. I felt at ease in his presence. 
By the time I graduated from high school, he and I were playing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue together, two pianos, four hands for my senior recital, and it's because he was a patient teacher. That's the way the Lord is with us. He walks with us each step. He's patient. We hear the voice of our teacher saying, this is the way. Walk in it when we turn to the right or to the left. Now, as we learn God's word, we have to be ready to receive everything he shows us. And in Samuel's case, the first revelation he received from God was a confirmation of what the man of God in chapter 2 spoke to Eli and his household. In the law of Moses, no one could be condemned without the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in this case, Samuel is going to become the second witness of God's word of judgment against Eli. Look at it in verses 11 through 14. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of his Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. What a dreadful message to receive. But it's so necessary to hear. What happens when people despise the sacrifice of the Lord? What happens when they reject the only way God has provided for the atonement for sin? Well, if people despise and reject the sacrifice God has ordained, then there is no sacrifice left that can atone for their sins. And if this was true in the days of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, how much more true is it today when the greatest sacrifice of all has been made on Calvary's cross by the very Son of God? Just like Eli's sons despised the law of God and the sacrifices of God and experienced terminal judgment from God, so too will we be judged if we despise and reject the offering that Jesus, God's son, has made on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's why the writer to the Hebrews so solemnly warns the believers in the first century not to turn away from Jesus. Listen to his words in Hebrews chapter 10. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, by going on sinning, he means rejecting Christ. You do that, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying ex expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? who is regarded as profane, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. 
For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The point here is not that there are some sins that the blood of Jesus on the cross are unable to cover or forgive. The point is that if you despise and reject the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, then you're rejecting the only means God has provided for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole point of the Bible is to lead us to embrace God's son, Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away our sin. You could search the whole scripture. You could learn the whole Bible from cover to cover. But if you miss Jesus, if you do not come to Jesus, you will not find eternal life. Every chapter of this Bible is flowing toward this, Christ and him crucified. So we've seen that the word of the Lord was rare in Samuel's day, but God graciously broke the silence by speaking to this young man and giving him his word to deliver to Eli and then to Israel. And we see that when the word of the Lord comes to a people, there is a responsibility upon them. What will we do with the word God is speaking to us? And that's our last point this morning. How shall we respond to this God who speaks. The first thing I want you to notice is that the person who hears the word of God has a responsibility not to keep that word to himself. If God has spoken to you, he wants you to deliver what he has spoken to others. Verses 15 through 18, we see that Samuel is nervous. This is the first time he's received a revelation from the Lord, and it's a scary word. And obviously, there's fatherly affection from Eli towards Samuel. He calls him my son. So Samuel's afraid to receive, tell this vision that he's received to Eli. He doesn't want to do it. He lays in his bed until morning. I doubt he sleeps a wink. He goes about his priestly duties, opening the doors of the house of the Lord. In verse 15, it says, Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. He's doing his best to avoid the man. But Eli calls Samuel, this time it really is Eli calling, and he demands to hear what God has spoken to him. And he even pronounces a curse upon Samuel if Samuel doesn't tell him the whole thing. Look at verse 17. What was the message he gave you, Eli asked? Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli submitted to the word of the Lord. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now stop here for just a minute. Even though Eli has failed in many, many ways, this may be a moment of mercy for him. Judgment irrevocably is going to come on him and his household. But in chapter 4, Eli is going to be watching and trembling for the ark of the Lord. Perhaps his heart is turning. Perhaps the fear of the Lord is in him. Perhaps for him, the judgment that is going to fall on him is going to result ultimately in mercy upon his soul because he submits 
to the word that has been spoken. But he needed to hear those words of judgment, didn't he? And Samuel needed to hold nothing back. It's sobering, isn't it? Do you realize, church, you are people who know about God's judgment on humanity's sin. That has not been hidden from you in this church. You have heard these words over and over and over again. You know the plight of people outside Christ. And knowing what you know requires you and me to do something about it. To speak what we've heard. To not hold back. Will we be faithful to speak God's word to others even when it's not a popular message? The prophets of Israel knew that if they failed to warn the people when God had spoken, they'd have the people's blood on their hands. And the apostles of the New Testament saw it the same way. Even when they were thrown into prison and beaten and they were warned, speak no more in the name of Jesus, Peter and John said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Why? Why were they constrained? It's because the Apostle Paul says the love of Christ constrains us. And he also said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade people. He said, I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So when God entrusts his word to us, we must not keep it to ourselves. We must faithfully deliver it to others. A church that will not faithfully deliver God's word to people will become a church in which the word of God is rarely heard. God will not keep on speaking if we will not act upon what we hear. If we believe God's words, we will share God's words with others. We will tell everything and hide nothing. The second thing I want you to see is that we can have great confidence in the power of God's word. I love verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And if you're reading the CSB here, you need to go down to the footnotes. The ESV, the NIV have it right. He let none of his words fall to the ground. I love the concreteness of the Hebrew language here. When it says God let none of his words fall to the ground, it means none of them ever rotted. None of them ever fell into pieces. They were never empty words. They never evaporated into midair. They never passed away. They never failed to have their effect. And the reason is when Samuel spoke as a prophet, he was speaking the very words of God. Martin Luther said that the word of a human being is like a little sound that goes into the air and disappears. But the word of God is heavier than heaven and earth. Indeed, it outweighs the heavens and the earth, and it will outlast them. Human words will pass away. God's word will never pass away. Which means whenever you hear God's word, it's never a neutral experience. You might think you can ignore God's word, but God's word will come back, and it will have a reckoning upon you. 
Either you will hear the word of God and submit to its power in your life and be transformed by it, or in the end, the word you have ignored and despised will come back and break you. It's like a hammer. It will break the stony ground of our hearts. And if you try to break the word of God in the end, it will break you. You can't escape it. But if you receive God's word, it will make you a person who in the end is unbreakable, imperishable. It will give birth to eternal life in you. None of God's words will fall to the ground. That is our confidence. That is why our hope for the transformation of our nation is not in Washington, D.C. It's not in getting the right people elected or the right legislation passed. Our hope and our confidence for the transformation of this nation is in the revival of Christ's church. It's in the revival of God's people as the word of God flows powerfully through us, it will then flow powerfully into our nation. And there's no telling what God can do to turn a culture around. And if the word of the Lord is rare in our land, it could be because we, God's people, have had not enough confidence in it to share it with others. We've been keeping it to ourselves. So let's be confident that when we speak God's word, we are speaking words that will not fall to the ground. Finally, be encouraged by the purpose of God's word, and it's in the final verse of chapter three. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. What do I hear in that phrase? He revealed himself. I hear this, God doesn't just speak his words to fill our minds with facts or with Bible trivia. He speaks to reveal himself. What did Jesus say to his father? This is eternal life. Not that they would know the Bible, but that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We don't read the Bible and listen to the Bible just to know more about the Bible. We read the Bible, we listen to the Bible to know the Lord who himself speaks and who reveals himself in all the scriptures. And when we come to his word hungry to know him, he will not leave us famished. He comes to us again and again, just as he appeared to Samuel again at Shiloh, and he reveals himself in his word. I love Jim Elliott's description of the Bible. He wrote this in his journal. The Bible is Christ in print. I love that. So let us pray that the Lord would be made known to us in the breaking of the bread of life in his scriptures, that as his word is open to us, we would evermore see Jesus clearly. And now as we move from the word to the table, let us feed upon Jesus the bread of life and know that our hearts have been strengthened by his grace. Let's pray together.